Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, beautiful people. Welcome to God is Gray, the podcast. Although I, as a Christian, believe that God resides in absolute truth, in black and white, we as people are stuck here on planet Earth contending with the gray. In church, gray areas often cause dissension, anger, and even hate. But on this platform, I welcome open dialogue, variety of opinion, and differing belief systems. God is Gray is meant to teach, inform, and simply trade stories with kindness, love, and mutual respect. If you have a story or perspective to share, please reach me, Brenda Marie Davies, at GodIsGrayXO at gmail.com. To support the cause and be a part of our community, donate to patreon.com slash gray. Now, on to the episode. Hi, beautiful people. So this conversation might be quite controversial to people peeking in because we're going to be talking about body positivity and some of the misunderstandings we have about what makes a healthy body. I see a lot of Christians nowadays pushing back on body positivity and being really wary that it means that unhealthy bodies, quote unquote, are just going to be widely accepted and people aren't going to care about their health anymore. So this conversation is going to ebb and flow and get into those complicated territories. And you're allowed to have your own opinion, but I also hope that you will just open your ears and your mind and your heart to hearing a perspective that is different because simply vilifying people or looking at their body in particular, judging someone based just off of what you see is never the way Christians were meant to be. So let's challenge ourselves to go deeper right now with Dr. Lex. She is a couples clinician who helps reduce conflict and sexual shame through therapy, education, and liberation. We love freedom and liberation here on God is Gray. She's also a certified sex educator, best-selling author, keynote speaker, curriculum designer, and Grand Rounds lecturer. It's her mission to deliver sex-positive, comprehensive, gender-expansive, adipositive, culturally diverse, queer and trans-inclusive, medically accurate, shame-free sex education. <laughs> Oh, that's really long. <laughs> I need to work on that. It's really long, but thank you. Thank you for having me. It's so nice to be here. Of course. It's not too long though. I mean, it's very, it's concise. It's like not redundant. So my one question, Addy positive, A-D-I positive. What is that? I'm not familiar. So like adipose as in fat. So I consider myself fat positive. I am oh. a fat person. Um, and I like to fight the shame and the stigma that comes with fatness, especially around sex and sexuality mm. and reproductive health. So being adipositive means that fat isn't a horrible word. People are like, you're not fat. Like, you're not ugly. Like, don't say you're fat. And I'm like, I didn't say I was ugly. I, said <laughs> I was fat. Oh, interesting. That immediate correlation. Like, it's, it's an immediate negative connotation to the word right right so like being fat means ugly like you can't be fat and beautiful at the same time like you can't yeah well 
Let's dive right into that because that's really interesting. We definitely are going to center a lot of this conversation around shame and freeing ourselves of shame. That's crucial to any conversation about sexual and spiritual health. Um, but on this in particular, it's like one of the things that I've noticed is a lot more conservative Christians have been talking about body positivity is taking it too far. You can't just be fat and be proud. Doesn't that mean you're not honoring and respecting your body? So what to you is the line between you're still honoring your body and yet at the same time, there is inclusivity and body positivity positivity and being quote fat with which to be honest is not a word I would feel comfortable calling anyone so Mm -hmm. can we dive into all of that so one of my favorite people to talk about fatness and how it ties in with like capitalism and privilege and racism even is um Sonali Rushtar and is labeled uh the fat sex therapist on Instagram and so being fat right? There, there are not necessarily direct correlations between fatness and health. You can't look at a fat person and know that they're unhealthy or healthy or not, right? There are fat people who are walking around, which the idea of fatness was created based on the BMI scale, right? We've all had to do the, what's your weight comparatively to your height at the doctor's office, which by the way, if you do not want to be weighed at your doctor's office, you can refuse. Just FYI. You can say, no, I don't want to be weighed. Even when you're pregnant, That being said, the BMI was actually based on white men and their bodies, and it was meant to be a community measurement tool, not individual, until insurance companies came along and they were like, hey, we need a way to measure health, Mm. and they decided to do it through weight and using this measure, even though the founders of the measure were like, it was never supposed to be used this way. When you add that, to the BMI doesn't take into account different masses, right? It doesn't include fat to muscle ratio, things like that. So people that are major athletes in the world, like Serena Williams, would actually be considered obese according yeah. to the scale. Oh. Because okay. <laughs> of her weight to height ratio. Right? Mm-hmm. That, doesn't that like blow your mind? So this person who's playing hours of tennis and is super strong and is super muscular would be considered obese based on this scale, right? And so there are also people that, and you've seen this, people that are unhealthy that have slender bodies, who have diabetes, who have thyroid issues, who have PCOS, who have endometriosis and all of these other things as well. But it's really um, masquerade. Like it's a mask behind, are you healthy? Versus I'm uncomfortable seeing a fat person. Like Mm -hmm. that isn't sexy to me. It's not arousing to me. It's not pleasurable to me because we've been taught probably like later than the, um, I can't think of the phase, the phase where like fatter, fluffier bodies was all the rage because it meant that you had money that meant that you could eat. And I was like, oh, you're rich because you have a little bit of a fupa, (laughs) right? So that was cute then. And then it lost its cuteness. And now it's sexy to be more slender or based on your culture, thick, right? So you're supposed to have some type of curves, but not too much curves because then that's bad. But it's also, it's just often just a masquerade behind health. You're not really worried about my health. You're like, I don't know if I want to be next to you or you're believing some idea about fat people, that fat people are lazy, that fat people are are criminal, that fat people aren't hard workers, um, which is the same thing as lazy, right? But something yeah. about that, that they're greedy, 
and you never know. You don't know about their bodies. Totally. So I can definitely see the cultural and societal issue with just judging someone based on appearance of any type, whether it be skin color, BMI, anything. Um, But I'm curious what then is a good measure of health? Because I definitely, I, for example, spent around five years being anorexic. So that's absolutely something that I would hope any of my friends or family were concerned with me for, and they were. And then when you go to the doctor, I would think you would want that to be addressed, at least by someone that actually cared for you, that actually cared about your health. So I can see the problems when it comes to insurance and then being maybe assumed that you have underlying health issues that you might not have just based on your weight, whether it's like a higher weight or too low of a weight. But so what is a good scale to measure whether or not a body is actually healthy and for the person that's inside of that body? Right, and and that's what's important, right? It centers on the person. With you and having disordered eating, right, and restrictive eating, you knew something was going on with your body. Yeah. Right, and you had some body dysmorphia. So when you looked in the mirror, you saw something completely different than what matched, which also meant your mood would be all over the place. You'd feel lethargic and tired. Um, It's not uncommon for people who are suffering with any type of eating disorder to have hormone imbalances, Mm. which means you might even like start to sprout body hair in places you typically don't have body hair, right? So it's really an individual person. If they're feeling uncomfortable in their body, they're like, oh, I feel sluggish, or I can't move the way I want to do, or I'm having trouble accessing different parts of my body, right? It's really that individual's choice to figure out what works best for them and then for them to bring it up because we also don't know why people's bodies change. So we don't know, was there some type of trauma that happened and now you've gained weight or you've lost weight? Mm. Uh, I've often read the, I've been sick for the past six months, right? And we can bring up Chadwick Boseman here, right? He was sick and losing weight, undergoing treatments for cancer and took pictures down on Instagram because people were talking about how emaciated he looked Mm. because people were talking about his body, not knowing the struggles he was going through. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's why we don't comment on people's bodies without their consent. It's like, Hey, I'm noticing something. Is this okay to talk about? And if they say no, you respect their no. Well, absolutely. That's, definitely a thing for me I'm just like if someone wants to be called a particular pronoun if someone does or does not want to talk about a subject matter it is not on you to lead the champion fight to make them talk about something or to make it's not you are your own you have your own life that person is their own they have their own life even if they're your child they still have their own Mm -hmm. body they still have their own decisions to make with themselves Oh, you're going to enjoy that. I, I know you have a small one. Um, I have a, a three-nager, as we like to call her, oh, um, wow. who's already s- started playing with pronouns. So, like, my kid goes by he or she um, and does not do they because Garnet does not understand a they yet. And Garnet's like, what's they? I don't know. I have a really hard time with it, too. Just, like, as a writer, just getting acclimated. I, I always wish there was a word, just because <laughs> I've done it before. Someone's like, they're coming over, and I'm like, them and who else? They're just like, no, just they. And I'm like, okay. And I hate to be so ignorant and such an old millennial, but 
getting acclimated. <laughs> it takes a minute. It takes a minute, right? Like this is my wheelhouse. So I get to practice all the time. I say, hi, I'm Dr. Lex. She, her doctor, my pronouns, what's yours, right? And for people who identify typically as cisgender, they're just like, um, he, she, whatever, whatever, <laughs> right? But when I get to see the light up of a person who is genderqueer, a person who is trans, a person who is non-binary, they're like, thank you for asking. It really does make a difference in their day just to be seen and to be acknowledged for who they are. And same thing goes for kids, right? And back to that eating thing, um, I had to be a member of the clean plate club growing up. And I was like... Uh yeah, you have to eat all the food on your plate, right? And yeah. that's how you get dessert, or that's how you get a treat, or that's how you get a good job. And it's one of the first betrayals we teach children, because we're teaching them not to listen to their bodies. Yeah. If they say, like, I'm done eating, children don't lie about these things. They're like, not like, oh, I'm done, I'm tricking you, I'm just going to wait till later to say I'm hungry again. Their bodies are full, and they're really good at being able to say that. And I nursed for oh my gosh, three years now that I wow. calculate. God bless. I nursed for three years. <laughs> Thank you um, for two little ones. And at six weeks, at six weeks old, my youngest was, no, my oldest was 16 pounds, which is huge. Okay. Like, yeah. Which is off, off the growth chart. Like the doctor was like, here's the chart. Here's your kid. And I was like, and they were like, well, you might want to start cutting back on her food. And I was like, at, at six weeks, you're, you're telling me to put my child on a diet because my child is larger than anybody else on the growth scale right now. So and my, my child reason? was exclusively breastfed. Yeah, I was going to say, what is the reasoning behind that? Because I could see if they were asking you, oh, what formula are you using? Is it counteracting her body in some strange way that she's gaining too much weight? But for a baby to be on the breast and just growing at that rate I don't like what was their argument to it because she was so large that's why and that's, how that she, was it how is she now so she's still the 98th percentile so my three-year-old wears five and sixes in size mm -hmm. which for folks who don't know your kid usually wears the size that matches their age yeah. right and my other child is not yet two and wears three-year-old clothes right so they're they're big kids and they're tall, like my almost two-year-old now knows how to open the trunk of the car with the button because <laughs> she can reach it. And I'm like, note to self, put things up higher now, right? So our Christmas tree will just definitely be decorated the top one third <laughs> this year because they can reach everything. But uh, I'm, a, I'm a large body person, but I'm also tall, right? Like I'm 5'9", which is taller than national average. My partner is tall. So we're just bigger people. Yeah, so and since your children would be they're addicted. just following us. Yeah, yeah. Mine I couldn't is, believe that. And yeah, I think I have a lot of questions about this because I really haven't embarked on a conversation, and I haven't thought about it too deeply, really, except for worrying about body dysmorphia in my child or in my friends, and then being concerned with just health and making sure my child is active and feeling positive about himself and the body that he's in and everything so what's the balance between yes that needs to be truth so everyone can live as god made them to be versus how are we still advocating for health in those bodies whatever the body type may be 
Right. So I think that comes from individual empowerment, which goes against the systems, right? Because health is also a very labeled term. We can say that people who have pre-existing conditions, kids that are born with diabetes aren't healthy because they were born that way. Yeah. Right? So that's really hard because there's there's nothing they have ever done besides be born. People are born with chronic disease. People have autoimmune diseases that pop up. That doesn't mean that they've been leading unhealthy lifestyles. It means that there's something in their bodies and DNA. So health is a really latent term that isn't necessarily fair, right? So we talk about decisions and also food doesn't have morals, right? It's not like, I'm an evil food. Like we ascribe meaning to food. We ascribe meaning to calories. 353 calories of donuts is 353 calories of strawberries. Like they're all calories. They're all calories. And it's how we're eating them and what it means for us. So I think we have to individualize, like this feels good for me. This is something that I enjoy. This is pleasurable. Maybe this is the only source of pleasure in my life right now. And if it's somebody you care about, if it's something that you're seeing an overconsumption of cocaine or meth or, or whatever is going on for them, that's when you check in on their mental. You don't say you're doing this behavior and you should stop, right? Because mm-hmm. that's shaming. That's saying my belief system is this is bad for you. So you need to ascribe to my belief system versus, hey, how do you feel? Like, I want to know about all your feelings, not just how your body feels, not just how your body feels in clothes, not how you feel naked. Like, how are you feeling all the way around? And we don't really do a great job here in the States of taking care of a whole person. That's really brilliant. That seems like the perfect way to approach it. Because if we have to get rid of our own preconceived notions about what is making a body look a certain way, what is actually healthy for a particular person to trust as I advocate with sexual health as well, to trust people to make their own consenting autonomous choices with their sexuality and not imposing your own morality and ideals on it as much as you'd want to, if it's someone that you love or if it's, you know, your adult child springing into their own life. So I think it's brilliant that the question then becomes, how do you genuinely feel? Are you sluggish? Do you feel energetic? And then from there, working on the body image and how you look in the mirror, because I think that the secondary challenge, maybe the first challenge for a lot of people would be first looking in the mirror. How do I feel? And that is really not a good barometer when there are things like body dysmorphia that affect people, or there are all the social stigmas of what a body is supposed to look like. So it's kind of like chicken or the egg. Which one do you think becomes more important or is there a particular order? Like so many people in marginalized communities have to keep advocating to be understood and to be accepted, for example, with body positivity. Um, So, you know, it's like, do you need to society to catch up to help people feel more comfortable in their bodies? Or do people just need to start walking around knowing that they feel healthy, they feel good, and this is their body? Like, it seems like a lot of work for people is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) I mean, I've been in this game for 10 years, right? And body esteem is a part of sexuality. So when we think of sexuality, we think of it holistically. We think about 
Um, intimacy and being able to build bonds with people that are significant. We think about sensuality and being able to use your senses for pleasure. Like your skin is actually your largest sexual organ. Your brain is your most powerful, but your skin is all over your body and it has sensation all over your body, right? And you might've had that experience where like you feel a prickle somewhere else that you can feel it tingle somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You're like, ooh, if I scratch this rib, you know, I feel my knee or something like that. Whatever it is, it's all so interconnected. That's part of sexuality. And then body esteem and how I express my body esteem and how I express my gender and my identity. That's all part of sexuality. And then your morals and values with it. So I definitely think it comes from this individual standpoint but we are force-fed so much crap that takes plant and seeds in us and grows these forests of shame trees that get rattled. So it's like the Cosmo, the old Cosmos would be like, oh, are your thighs too thin or thighs too thick, right? And for black and brown cultures, having thick thighs is something that can be really desirable or having a big butt is something that can be really desirable. But like back in the early 90s right that wasn't supposed to be cute no not at all I mean as someone in the industry like I've been modeling for a long time and then when you trace advertising and you really see that the inception of what was called the heroin chic era when Kate Moss came onto the scene and Calvin Klein was shooting these ads where everyone really looked like they were having drug problems and they all had what you could argue looked like unhealthy body types but then they were really propped up as the ideal which was a shift Mm -hmm. from a still very unattainable body type but at least Cindy Crawford and the like had you know their bosoms and their curves so we've watched these things change and progress or digress according to different decades And now it's been so interesting to see, you know, we've been talking a WAP a lot on this channel and to see now this body type being so esteemed and beloved. And even that is though hard for some people to achieve because what if you're very curvaceous, but your curves aren't falling in the quote right places, right? Mm -hmm. There's always Mm -hmm. something new to worry about. And how much more often have I been looking at my ass in the mirror and being disappointed with it? I didn't do that 10 years ago, but now the ass is all the rage and Mm -hmm. I'm like, Oh no. (laughs) So it's like, there's always some standard that we're trying to live up to. And like you were saying, I don't know what era this was, but there was a particular time where If you were like a peasant, you were in a field working, you barely had access to food. So you were skinny and tan. Fast forward a hundred years or something. And that is the thing that everyone wants to be when back in the day, it would have meant you were broke and had nothing to your name. (laughs) Right, right. And and it's the, and that's what I'm talking about. It's so systemic and it's so cultural. Uh, I've had clients who refuse to take their mental health meds because it made them lose too much weight. They were like, no, I'm too thin when I take this med. I'm not taking it, even if it means the way I move in the world isn't ideal because it's affecting my body esteem. And that's how important this is to people. So when you're, we're talking about people's bodies and I would leave healthy out of it. I would leave like, are you feeling lethargic? Are you feeling tired out of it? I would say like, what's going on with your mood? How are you handling, especially because um, there's been all of this fat phobic nonsense around uh, COVID-15, 
It's like, don't gain the COVID-15, which is like the 15 pounds during quarantine. Okay. Which is trash. Like, it's a pandemic going on. People are being exposed to all sorts of things. And, like, we still have the administration. We have an entire racial going on as well. Yeah, some people might want to eat. Some people might want to eat to cope, right? And to say, like, I was fat before quarantine. So you're saying you don't want to come out looking like me? Like, ouch, best friend. Mm. Thanks, mom, right? Mm, yeah. That's really hard. And so that's where it can be hurtful. So if you're not that person that that person wants to talk to about that, you got to respect that. But that's definitely stuff you get to explore. Like, how come this bothers me so much? What is it about it? Maybe it's because I never had permission to be this free, to explore my body in this way. Maybe I, I've definitely been told this as a microaggression as a fat person. Um, I, uh, being as big as you, I wish I could have that much confidence. And I'm like, are fat people not supposed to be confident because we're fat? And I'm a smaller fat person, right? Or maybe a medium fat person. Um, no, I would say smaller because I'm about the national average, right? A 16 to 18, which is the national average of yeah. body size of women in America. So like for people who are like super fat, they get so much crap. It, it takes longer to get them diagnoses at the doctor because the doctor is like, well, you're feeling sick because you're fat. It was like, I don't, I don't know if that's what this is. And I've seen people who are like, actually, I had stage two cancer and the doctor didn't run tests on me because I'm a fat body person, right? Or people make fun of folks when they're going into a store or places aren't accessible because of size. And everybody deserves a right to be able to exist and be able to have access to all of the things they want to have access to based on their size. But it's usually behind the facade of, oh, this is unhealthy versus you make me uncomfortable. And I don't know why you make me uncomfortable. Well, it's cool that you're saying that it all correlates to sexual health because I see so many parallels in the conversation. I admittedly can't relate fully to obviously a lot of your experiences. Um, at the same time, I feel like there's so many commonalities just between the way we observe our bodies and I could see thinking something like that about a very sexually emancipated person or a woman that was heavier and just feeling free in her body because those were two things that I was taught again and again, pounded through my entire life that you are not allowed to feel comfortable or at peace or joyful if you're these two things, sexual emancipated or you have a body type that's not what I'm seeing in every single magazine. So I think a lot of it does come down to the lack of feeling free to actually just be either of those two things. I, I'm always hearing dissenting comments as I'm having conversations with people because I do get, you know, hater comments and those people are all welcome to the conversation. I hope any of you are listening and you're just actually being open-minded and receptive because I think a conversation like this is difficult for people to hear the same as a sexual emancipated conversation 
because the concern is, well, where is the line? How do you draw the line? And let's say not for other people, but for yourself. So if your body wants to be something that you're not allowing it to be because of all these cultural norms, then at what point do you actually just release yourself? Because with sexuality, I would say there are definitely limits because then you have the rules of enthusiastic consent and you know honoring your body in specific ways. So then what kind of really healthy thoughts can we put towards allowing our bodies to expand if they want to or become smaller if they want to without worrying that we're going to let it go too far and then get into unhealthy territory? So I think that's such a good question, right? Because you're trying to figure out what's best for you. And I think you already said it, that key in honoring ourselves, right? So one is, and it's something that a lot of people who aren't pretty much cisgendered, heterosexual, Christian, and white aren't taught is that what they think and feel is actually true. Yeah, no. What you think and feel is actually true. No, we're right? talking It's not opposite. wrong. There, there's no baseline that you have to go off of. Like, your thoughts and feelings are true. And your heart is we, deceitful. Your feelings are from the devil. Yes, yes, right? All of this is whispers, and you need to follow the righteous path, right? And it's like, but I want to go this way. I don't, don't want to go now. I want to go this way, right? And I feel that all, all within me. So it's trusting yourself to not gaslight yourself. Because it's a form of abuse. It's saying, like, no, you're not right. Yeah. Oh, that's a lie. What you believe is not okay. And it's like, is it though? I'm pretty sure <laughs> for a while I've been believing this, right? So that's how you start to carve out that line of like, this is pleasurable, right? And so I don't just mean like pleasurable sexually. I mean, when's the last time you got to frolic in your body and just enjoy pleasure, whether it was a cool breeze on a hot day, whether it was feeling cool water going down your throat into your belly, like those things are pleasure, whether it's to feel softness on your skin, that's pleasure. And I, I don't want you to think that body positivity is always like, yay, this is my body. That's not necessarily body positivity, despite the fact that those are the words that go together. Mm -hmm. It's more like, I accept my body for what it is. Today, I'm struggling with it. And that's okay. Like, it's still my body. I still appreciate it. I'm not going to punish my body or myself. And you've seen people like that. Well, uh, I will only be able to get this thing if I lose 15 pounds, right? Yeah. Why are we punishing ourselves? Especially if you're a Christian person. Like, I don't believe in suffering for goodness. I, especially for Christians, like, God gave his only begotten son so you wouldn't have to suffer. And he's all merciful. So all you have to do is ask for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That that was, I mean, I'm a recovering Baptist. I will say I'm a recovering Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Being a Black person from the South, I'm a recovering Baptist. But that was the premise I understood when I was in church three and four day, days a week. And yeah. so I didn't get that. I'm like, but God doesn't want you to suffer. That's why he sent his son down to do all the suffering for you. Mm -hmm. Why are we still purposely trying to make people suffer for I know. What? It's like we're always trying to earn what we also are being taught is freely given. It's a contradiction that I see so often in sermons. 
I am curious too about your Southern Baptist black girl experience because prior to this conversation we were just talking about how I often receive letters from the women of color in this beautiful community here and a lot of you have pointed out that the black girl experience and the white girl experience is different in several ways as far as purity culture goes so I'd love to address some of those differences. Well, because you, it was funny, I've been talking a lot about um, WAP too, uh, yeah. because I love the song, I love the premise, if you didn't get it, because that might not be part of your experience and context, they had nursing statues, right? So the statues in the beginning of the video were nursing, like it was milk <laughs> yeah. shooting out of their boobs and they were still sexy, which is a whole nother thing mm. for parents who chest feed and nurse, and the fact that they can still be sexy, um, whole nother movement whole other conversation yeah but there black people in this country we have such a tumultuous history that is traumatic that has literally changed our dna right and there is a grafting of blackness onto white culture because we literally had our culture robbed from us so the enslaved people let's go, let's, before, before Black folks were enslaved, before Africans were enslaved, there were colonizers, right, on a ship who were off the coast of West Africa, and they saw women that had on no bras. They saw bare-chested women and were aroused. And because they were aroused, those women were automatically sexy. Yeah. And wanted sex, right? Just, like, existed existing like and bras aren't even like that great for your boobs depending on the size anyway and <laughs> they saw them and were just like oh they're sexy so they must want sex and that's what started to beget this idea about this hypersexualization of black and brown bodies and then we bring on enslavement and then we talk about the ways that black and brown bodies come into puberty so oftentimes they come into pu they can come into puberty as early as eight Wow. Right? Mm -hmm. So starting menstruation and then starting puberty for people with penises, for young black boys, around that time, you start to get seen as an adult. So black children, brown children don't necessarily get that innocence of childhood, right? That, that forgivingness of childhood. Now it's, oh, well, you're an adult and now you're accessible for sex, no matter how old you are. Or it's thought that you're already having sex. So I don't know in your community, but in my community, it was like, oh, look, her hips spread, and that means she's having sex. No way. Despite the fact that hip spreading is a natural phenomenon that happens with puberty. Natural phenomenon. Well, not me. I had to wait to be pregnant to get my hips to spread. <laughs> I Lucky was like, you. Yes, <laughs> <hips>. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. I definitely had pubic symphysis. So my hips spread extra <laughs> pregnancy. But yeah, so like just hip spreading. So I remember being 13 with my nephew and people kept asking me um, how old my son was and when I had had my son. And I was like, I've never been pregnant. And at that time, I was kind of naive to think like, wait, you think he's he's my kid? Like, well, he's my nephew. And I'm not sexually active. So I don't really understand that. But there is this understanding that you're already so sexual. And then we put the, the Christian lens on it, right? So you're supposed to keep your legs crossed. You're supposed to be um, a lady in the streets. Mm. You're not supposed to do anything too sexual because that's the Jezebel. 
And the Jezebel is only one black sexualized stereotype. There are basically three matriarchs. We have the Jezebel who is sexually wanton and she is so sexual that she's like Mrs. Steal Your Man. Like I can have sex with anybody I want. Everybody wants to have sex with me and I want to sex everybody else up. And then there's the mammy, which uh, becomes like the welfare mom and, and those stereotypes. And the mammy is considered fat, oftentimes is darker, is the nurturer, has all these kids. So it's like, she might not be necessarily wanted sexually, but people having sex with her because she keeps having kids. Mm. So who do people having sex with her, right? And then there's the sapphire, so the ball buster. Think um, Claire Huxtable, uh, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to tell you when we having sex, but that person's sexually intimidating. It's like, oh, well, uh, we don't know. She's too strong. She's intimidating. We don't know if we want her. She don't need a man. And all of these stereotypes follow Blackness just from existing as Black female body folks. That is put on us. So that... And the Christianity of you need to be a good girl. People already see you and already want to just use you for sex. So you can't have sexual pleasure. You can't show sexual desire because that means you're a whore. Yeah. I feel like white girls only have two. (laughs) We just have a virgin or Madonna. I mean, virgin, Madonna, or whore, Jezebel. Right, right, Um, yeah. And it seems like there's almost no in-between. It's just like you're one or the other. And the Madonna goes into marriage and being the perfect wife and everything. And the Jezebel is like any single girl, any girl that's just living on her own or just living with her boyfriend and sin, all of that stuff. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Can you imagine? (laughs) Getting to know somebody before you actually want to get married to them and live with them forever. Yeah. No. Wild concept. (laughs) Oh, so yeah, definitely. I do think that, and there's a whole like slut versus stud, and it's not the same kind of dynamic for for men and boys. It's like, oh well, go sow your seed, get it out, and that way you can settle down for marriage. Well, I think the men are really interesting too, because I, this was just a theory I have running. Let me know if you agree or not, but the, the intimidation that either boyfriends, husbands, or fathers have when a white girl dates black man, I think it just goes back to over-sexualizing the black man, assuming that his genitalia looks a certain way, being intimidated by that stereotype, being horrified that your daughter would be overcome by that sort of sexuality. Do you think that's where that intimidation and fear comes from? Oh, I always thought it was the eradication of whiteness. Go into that. I don't know what that means. So... Oh, right. like, um, like stopping our race from being pure? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. because the idea that um, the one drop rule, like, we ain't come up with that, but <laughs> <laughs> there's this idea that once you're a little bit Black, you're Black, um, and so... I think that's just white people wishing they were a little bit Black. <laughs> like, I don't know what that was. Found 1% in there. <laughs> I don't know. That is a thing, right? So the, the idea that so a white woman with a black man who has a baby that comes out biracial but that biracial baby is perceived as and treated as black right um i.e barack obama yeah 
and identifies that way, then they get erased. So those men get erased. Yeah. Uh, they, they no longer see. And so if that keeps happening, right, um, which is what the projections do say will happen, that people will continue to mix, then there is no more white male. And then who gets to hold the power? Because white men in our country have the power. And so it becomes a threat to that power. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I guess now that we're talking about it, I believe it could be a little bit of both and what people are actually aware is happening. And, and that's why I think these conversations are so beautiful and I'm so happy people are addressing these topics openly now because it's all about media literacy and also literacy about our history, where we've come from and why we're holding certain ideals and you know, I think it can be a little bit of both because if I look at someone like my dad, I know that he has no stake in the game of keeping our race pure and he's not concerned. You know, I'm with a Mexican dude. He never once cared that I wouldn't have a pure white baby. I think it was more the, the sexualization of black bodies and black men. So, I, but I don't know, it could be this like deeply ingrained fear, like the tribalism of we have to keep ourselves together was it the same with your with your Mexican lover did he have the same like uh machismo fear or dominant fear because like there is a a level of um idea that Mexican men have to be the head of the household that you're supposed to be submissive right so there is that cultural ideology that does get passed on did your dad have those same fears or qualms Well, it's interesting because we never really talked about it. My dad is a very open person. I think he just wanted to meet my partner. My partner is an exceptional person. And ultimately, it didn't matter what color skin or what background he had as long as he was good to me, you know. But but I'm just recalling that's the only race and sexuality-based conversation we ever had. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I definitely think there there is that... um part of the fear around sexualization and brutalization, but like white women have been sleeping with black men since the beginning of time. Um, white slave owners who, white women slave owners would sleep with the bucks and the black men that were enslaved behind the their husband's backs. That is I, I haven't abnormal. heard that story. Oh yeah. So yeah. it was a, a common practice. Um, and also talking about the sexualization and the sexual trauma and the rape of enslaved Black men, because how do you say no to misses, right? Yeah. We, we oftentimes hear about the brutalizations about enslaved women, but we don't hear that about enslaved Black men. But enslaved Black men were absolutely forced into sexual encounters, not only with other enslaved people, but also with enslaved masters, both male and female. And yeah. it typically could be a way to emasculate, but also it could be a way because she was sexually attracted to whoever was on that plantation. Um, and then it also became dangerous, right? It became dangerous for Black men to want to be with or to be with white women for quite a period of time and can still be dangerous to date, quite honestly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to add that, so not only the the kind of brutalization of sexuality, right? But I'm thinking of your dad. I used to live in Philly. Um, I also worked in the school, Philadelphia school district um, in the inner city. So (laughs) small world. Hey dad. (laughs) Um, So there, there is that idea of sure. um, She's with a black man, but the question becomes 
what makes them work or, or what is it, but also the idea that sometimes there's been a putting down of Black women because white women are the ideal. Mm. They are the trophies. They're like, they are the symbol that you have made it. And that's great. Like, if you want to be with a white woman, go be with a white woman, rock out. I hope you all have a consensual, wonderful relationship. The issue is, is when the crap comes down because Black women are too this or they're too loud or they're too intimidating or they're too independent. So I chose a white woman. Yeah. And that's where that dichotomy gets really messy and really hurtful and also like just really untrue. So it's just like, no, we don't really care that you're dating a white woman. Like, go be great. <laughs> but you don't have to crap on us while you're doing it. So do what you want to do. I find that a lot of these fears and stereotypes come from our presumption about what someone else would feel. Like I talked to my friend, she's also a sex educator named Kochima. Um, I don't know if you're familiar, she's wonderful, but she was talking about how she was like walking her dog out somewhere and a white woman was passing her by and she became immediately fearful, assuming that she was being judged by this person. And then you have conversations and you realize sometimes we're both afraid of each other and we're both afraid to have these conversations and we're presuming too much about what the other person might be thinking about us. So what kind of ideal world do you see? Like, where should we be heading from here? I, obviously, this beautiful wave of Black Lives Matter started really opening up these conversations, but I've also noticed fear around it of what's too far what am I allowed to ask this person you don't want to make people do mental labor or educational labor without being paid or without being knowledge so I feel like there's a lot of confusion around where do we actually go from here and what are we promoting are we promoting absolute equality are we promoting that each culture gets to raise their flags high and be proud and, and maintain it like what are some of our larger goals around this especially when it comes to sexuality and how we interact in that way? I think it's liberation, right? Equality is cute. I don't want, so liberation is different from equality. Equality is everybody gets what they need. No, equality is everybody's equal. Equity is everybody gets what they need, mm -hmm. right? Liberation is there are no obstacles to get to the stuff that we want. I would like to remove the obstacles. So removing the obstacles to sexual pleasure, removing the obstacles to sexual knowledge. Yeah. And, and we, we do this from pretty much birth for, for folks. Mm -hmm. And people are, I'm in, I'm in my almost mid thirties. Yeah. So mid thirties. And I still meet adults who are like, I never had a sex talk and nobody ever talked to me about the pleasure of my body other than it was wrong and it was bad to feel this way. Or nobody ever told me that I could say no to starting a sexual endeavor and stopping it. So I've always just had this like unsatisfying sex. And I'm like, wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Nobody ever told me when somebody says no, that I'm supposed to stop. They told me that I'm supposed to keep going until they actually acquiesce. And I'm like, don't do that. Mm -mm. That's coercion. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that that liberation comes from removing some of these obstacles where one, whiteness is considered the baseline of normalization for some reason. Everything is compared against whiteness. And it's like, well, no, it's not the baseline of anything. It's just another caveat in the, in the chart, right? And that is really like your work. That is your colleague's work. Uh, your sex educator friend, Kachima, is that how you say her name? Coach Yama. Yeah, Coach Yama. So yeah. 
Koshima like has a reason to be nervous yeah. when she does see this person who is white, like depending on the neighborhood, because Ahmad was running through a neighborhood and died and was murdered, right? Yeah. Just for existing. And so yeah. existing in black and brown skin is threatening to some folks. Having fun, being at a pool, driving in a car, being asleep in your bed. Yeah. Mm-hmm just from existing in this black skin because it has been weaponized, right? It's you are dangerous because you are black. And that is really hard. You are dangerous because you are brown, right? According to our administration, you're a bad ombre just because you exist in the skin that looks a little bit different than quote unquote what's normal. Yeah. So I think it's the removing of those obstacles and dismantling of these larger systems. We have to not know, we have to stop doing the default as whiteness because it's not there's so many other cultures and colors and ways of being that are beautiful and amazing that deserve to be embraced and honored as well. And then holding people accountable for their belief systems of when they're reenacting that trauma. Like, no, nah, this is traumatic, bruh. Nope, go do some work. So yes, there's Google. There's <laughs> yeah. knowledgeable platforms. And then if somebody consents to doing that education, if somebody consents to saying like, hey, yeah, I'll have this conversation with you. I'll take on that labor. Then great, sit down, shut up and get all of the information that you can get and then take it back. And then it's your job to interrupt. So Thanksgiving, if you're still celebrating Thanksgiving, <laughs> it's not going to be a simple, easy, fun conversation, right? We're not dressing our kids up as Indians, which are native indigenous people anymore. Mm-hmm. Like it's not cute. It's people who have literally been eradicated and we've taken over their land. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Right? Absolutely. I love what you've said earlier about, like in our household, for example, we, just me and my partner before we had the baby, kind of agreed to stop using the word normal. And when you take normal out of sex, out of eating, out of race out of out of any kind of system all of a sudden you're allowed in that space to really consider anything normal and that doesn't mean perversion and outlandish evil that you're doing unto each other it just means that when you say normal check yourself what are you calling normal you're saying this body type is normal are you sure that it is because if you go across different continents, if you look at different body types, if you mm-hmm. even look at the statistics of what kind of body types have, your normal is probably pretty off and based in something quite strange. Your normal sex. Also, you know, foot fetish is actually statistically incredibly normal. So it's like, what is normal? Break the idea of what that is. Right. And remember, like, because of the shame that comes with all of these things, people lie. Like, I'm not going to tell my doctor I have a foot fetish. Like, you will never know I suck toes, right? So, like, it's not, it's not been part of that conversation where people have felt safe enough to be open. And same thing with race and same thing with body. Like, I don't feel safe enough to tell you what I didn't eat today. Or I've seen people who, like, wore weights to their weigh-ins to make themselves heavier because they feared that they were going to become underweight because they knew they were doing restrictive things. right yeah because they they were hiding so we haven't made these things comfortable accessible regular conversations we have to talk about how your body feels and how it shows up and how you want it to feel right if you're fine with it feeling this way 
rock out. Yeah. Have fun. Okay. I trust you to know what's going on. If you're saying like, I'm having a really hard time today trying to put food in my mouth, then that tells me something else is up and we need to get you some type of support, whether it be mental health, whether it be medical, ideally it'll be global and we'll support you. But we need to create a society and a place, even if that society is two people, if that society is church, if that society is your Facebook group or whatever it is, <laughs> for it to be safe for you to start to have those conversations so where you can just completely be you and that be acceptable. Beautiful. I think full circle to round up this conversation, again, it's so interesting to see this exact correlation between body positivity and sex positivity, because really what we're asking is for people to advocate for comprehensive education and trust of the person. And I've been saying this on God is Gray, my platform for so long that we don't often enough tell people, hey, in the spiritual case, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You can speak to divinity on your own without needing another channel or another person telling you what it's about. Same thing with your body. Like you can have a, a doctor that you trust help guide you in certain ways, but the only person that knows the real answers is you. And if you have enough education, empowerment, and self-love to actually answer those questions honestly and be willing to put in the work if you are unhealthy or if you are perfectly healthy and you have to work on the way you see your body as it turns out your body just wants to be, then that all comes down to you, you, you. Would you agree with that? Yeah, center yourself. You're allowed to center yourself and we're not taught that. We're taught to center other people's happiness, right? Or, or God's happiness, right? And again, that self-sacrifice does not equal goodness. Yeah, it and it's, it's not biblical. Like, yeah, that, that's the true thing, too. We always think we're doing things for God, but also see where that voice is coming from. If it's a voice that's like a pastor, you know, they have capability uh, to be fallible. They don't know 100% what's going on all the time. So if a person is telling you God said, you're still allowed to check that. That might not be true. <laughs> please check it. Please check it. <laughs> like, yes. Exactly. Everybody has their own interpretations. That's the hard thing about religion and spirituality is people have their own interpretations. And sometimes a lot of people agree and just a few don't. And sometimes a lot of people don't agree. And if we're going with, again, being a recovering Baptist, um, I learned a lot from DeAndrea Blaylock Johnson and Brittany Broda Smith, who are all like Christian sex educators and therapists. But if you're going to go by this word of this being who loves you thoroughly and with all of your flaws and who knows you intrinsically, then how do you love yourself to honor that too? I love that. Beautiful. If you want to reach me, I would love to talk to you, to hear from you. I am Lex, L-E-X-X, sex, S-E-X, doc like doctor, D-O-C, dot com. And I'm Lex Sex Doc across all platforms. So that's Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I don't have a TikTok. I'm not, I'm still that awkward middle school girl who like, <laughs> is a little like nervous about these types of things. I know, but, I'm trying, and I, I don't know if I'm doing well or not. <laughs> I, like I was a nerd. I'm still a nerd. I'm the coolest nerd you will ever meet, but I'm still a nerd. <laughs> I believe um, that. And 
<laughs> some of those things are just like you know awkward it's still weird to me that people actually want to talk to me on a regular basis I'm like really okay sure uh, so I'm so honored to be here I, I love being able to have these conversations and to take part of it so just thank you for letting me come and join and add some stuff to your platform yes thank you so much for being here we love you all so much thank you reach out to Dr. Lex and God bless <laughs>